There was this guy I was casually seeing, and it seemed like the perfect arrangement. I was off with work, and he was totally cool with just hanging out when I had the time. He even went the extra mile and made me these amazing home-cooked meals. It was like having all the perks of a relationship without any of the labels or responsibilities. Pretty sweet deal, right? Turns out, no. One day, another friend told me that on the nights I wasn't able to go out partying, he was regularly <laughs> hooking up with another friend. Technically, I had no right to be upset. We didn't have any exclusivity labels, but it still hurt. It wasn't even that he was seeing other people. I figured he would be. It was the fact that I hung out with her weekly, and all of our mutual friends knew. I was the only one who was completely oblivious. I felt like an idiot. Welcome to Self Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Erica Ng, a communication coach and your resident bookworm. This season, we'll be focused on developing romantic skills, but before we dive into the conversation with our guest, let's get a one-minute summary of the book. Ever wonder why infidelity continues to wreak havoc in committed relationships? Esther Perel's The State of Affair dives into this murky territory, challenging our preconceived notions about cheating and the fallout that ensues. Perel's exploration begins with the definition of infidelity. In a world of dating apps and blurred boundary lines, what really qualifies as cheating? Is it a flirtatious message, a lap dance, or something more? Beyond the act itself, secrecy, sexual chemistry, and emotional involvement are often components of infidelity. Surprisingly, infidelity doesn't always signal an unhappy relationship. Through real-life examples, Perel uncovers instances where individuals, seemingly content in their partnerships, explore affairs to discover new facets of their identity. Why does it hurt so much? It's not just a breach of trust, but a threat to one's identity. For many, your sense of self is deeply intertwined with the role as a partner, making betrayal feel like a personal rejection. The book challenges demonization of jealousy, arguing that a touch of it can strengthen relationships, signaling love and care. Prowl also delves into the delicate question of whether revealing an affair is always the ethical choice, or if in some cases, secrecy might be a compassionate alternative. And with that, let's dive in. So it's my pleasure to welcome our guest today, Camilla Espana, a compassionate therapist with a mission to guide individuals and couples and families through life's twists and turns. In her career, she's lent a helping hand in primarily health clinics, providing psychotherapy to address a spectrum of concerns. Camilla believes in the power of relational healing, and today she's joining us to unravel the psychology behind betrayal in our mini series. So welcome, Camilla. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Um, so just before we get into the very sensitive topic of betrayal, I wanted to get to know you a little bit better. So for people who are listening, this is actually our second take. So if it sounds like we know exactly what we're talking about, that is why. So you practice in both English and Spanish. And for me as a bilingual as well, I tend to have different sides of my personality come out when I speak a different language. So when you're practicing in English versus Spanish, do you find yourself have seeing any differences? Yeah, totally. So I find that when I practice in Spanish, I am a less directive 
and allow for more room for small talk. I find that the Spanish language has a lot, a lot of words to describe a whole range of emotion. Mm -hmm. So um, I find that I am much more descriptive and flowery in how I speak. And when I work in English, I might be more concise just because of just the, the limitation of the language I, I, I find. But yeah, those are those are probably my, my two biggest differences between English and Spanish. For sure. So when you're saying that there's like more words for emotions, is that like the whole array of emotions? Is that both like love, hate, I don't know, fear, jealousy? Is it everything? A lot. For instance, there's mu there's more ways of saying I love you in Spanish than there is in English. Mm. And there's almost there's different uh, levels or grades mm. of saying I love you. I also find there's many different ways of saying I'm sorry. Oh. In Spanish than, than, yeah, than in English. And so there's just many, there's many ways in which someone could, could express. So I, I, I find that I allow, I, I'm much more receptive to, to the nuances of words when I'm mm. listening, when I'm working with, with Spanish speakers. I'm, I, I think I'm pretty attuned in English as well, but there's just less variety. Yeah. Just, just an interesting difference. I'm thinking back to when you're like a teenager and your friends are asking you like, Oh, do you like this guy? It's like, well, I like him, but I don't like, like him. We like have to like use him. like <laughs> these slang, <laughs> like very, it, 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 there's a lot of nuance that's lost definitely in English. Mm -hmm. In Spanish, I love you is mm -hmm. like, I love you like you would to your, to your intimate partner would be te amo. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're, if you're saying, if it's somebody you're, you're, you're starting to date and you want to express that you adore them, that you have, you like, like them, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we would say te quiero and mm -hmm. that translates to, I want you. But it's not oh. also in the cardinal sense. It's not necessarily in a, you know, in a physical, right. a sexual sense. It could, you could express te quiero to your parents as well. And te amo is really reserved for um, great, great intimacy. Mm. That's mm -hmm. really interesting. So just like little, little things like that. For sure. Mm -hmm. And how did you get into specializing in something like betrayal? Um, I was exposed to to betrayal and infidelity. So I'm more so the word infidelity, I think, than betrayal. Infidelity at a at a younger age, much younger than I would have wanted. Um, it was something that I've seen in my community growing up, mm -hmm. um, in my family. It was also something that um, I saw in a lot of the telenovelas, like the typical soap operas that you would see in the Latin community. Um, so it's something that I've I've learned that I've learned that it is perhaps sometimes a part of a love story, but mm. it doesn't have to be the end. And if it is the end of that particular love story, it may be the end of that dynamic, mm. not that end of that relationship among those two people. Right. right? Just I, I've learned to sort of see the nuance of infidelity. And so when it comes to working with individuals, I find that I I'm fortunate that I work with a lot of men that come for all sorts of reasons. And one of them, you know, being um, infidelity, you know, either be experiencing it or have experienced it or they're, they're experiencing this now. And as you were describing that, um, like the telenovelas having affairs and infidelity in the relationships, I feel like in the TV that I watched growing up, um, when someone was unfaithful, it was usually the end of the relationship or like it mm. wasn't, it sounds like there's a difference in the way that it's treated in TV shows. So when you're dealing with clients, um, 
do you see, I don't know, is there some sort of barrier when you're talking to someone who has like, who grew up with North American TV shows um, compared to someone who has grown up watching telenovelas? I, I think that even, because I work mostly with people from, from Canada, right? All, mm-hmm. all are Canadian, all are from, from the Western hemisphere. So regardless of they grew up watching mm-hmm. telenovelas or watching, you know, Friends, mm-hmm. you know, um, the Western approach to, to infidelity still permeates. Mm-mm-mm. It's still, they're still living here, right? They're still right. surrounded by this culture. And so I still have to go through these barriers regardless. Mm. So certainly not to say that it's easier with this, with this group and harder with that group. No, right. I, I think the one thing is watching it on TV and being like, yeah, mm. you know, like that's it's not so bad, you know, of course. And another thing is experiencing it. Yeah. Certainly. I, I don't think whether or not we watched it in a movie or we watched it in a movie too many times actually mm-hmm. changes how we feel about it when it happens. And let's kind of dive into some of those barriers that you mentioned. So the book that you brought, State of Affairs by Esther Perel, I found to be very eye-opening. I think when I think of affairs, it was always a very black and white situation. And she definitely opens up um, a lot of the the nuances that come along with infidelity. So, I mean... How did you come across this book and what what made you suggest it for this podcast? Yeah, so before Esther Perel, I couldn't for the life of me find a therapist or find someone older, more experienced than me that I would that we would have common um common ideologies mm. about affairs. So I was taught that an affair is a symptom, not an outcome. Infidelity mm-hmm. is a symptom, not an outcome of a tr- obviously a troubled relationship. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't find anyone. I couldn't find any research that showed differently. And I'm like, why? Why is it always a symptom of unhappiness? Mm-hmm. And if you don't mind, Erica, is it okay if I read just a little piece of, 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 of Esther Perel's book? So it's the state of affairs, rethinking infidelity. And so here she writes. Uh, while the poets speak of lovers and adventurers, most people's prefer, prefer vocabulary includes cheaters, liars, traitors, sex addicts, philanderers, nymphos, womanizers, and sluts. Among therapists, too, balanced, unbiased dialogue is rare. Affairs are overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly described in terms of damage caused with a focus on either prevention or recovery. Mm-hmm. She later then says, I thought was very meaningful here. Affairs have a lot to teach us about relationships. What we expect, what we think we want, what we feel we're entitled to. They offer a unique window into our personal and cultural attitudes about love, lust, and commitment. Mm. So I, I recommended this book just because I I, I think it, it's needed to... It, it was a way to stop pathologizing... Um, somebody who, who who has an affair, who engages mm-hmm. in an affair versus somebody who experiences it. It I think it it allows room and space for honest dialogue. Yeah. So you were talking about your ideology when it comes to affairs. Can you dive a little bit deeper on how your ideology kind of differs from um, what exists? Yeah. 
Yeah. So when I first started, I always try to find the motivators or the uh, predicting factors that's going to lead to an affair. Mm-hmm. And I'll be super honest, Erica, I wasn't only researching this for, you know, for clients or to, for myself too. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? Oh, for, for myself sure. too, to be like, well, what kind of person, what kind of partner yeah. can I avoid? <laughs> you know, which one should I go for? You know, right. and I was researching till I was blue in the face. Hmm. And honestly, I would find a whole range of information. And I realized after working with so many couples that it actually doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. There are no specific motivators. Motivators are only the elements we attach meaning to. So hmm. for one couple, it could be lack of sexual chemistry. That was the deal breaker. That's what led me to an affair. Okay? Right. And then my next session, I'm not. 15 minutes later, I see another couple and although they're in a, you know, they're experiencing lack of sexual chemistry, that's not the motivator. Mm. It was lack of quality time. Mm. And so there's a huge range, a huge range of what are these motivators that it, again, it, it doesn't matter. We can, we can conceptualize all we want, but it just means that it's whatever a couple, whatever a person mm. attaches meaning to. If they see a void, if they feel a void, and then they attach meaning to it, so they stop feeling the feeling and they start thinking the feeling, mm-hmm. that's now attaching meaning, mm-hmm. that could be the motivator. Right. right. Hmm. So... What does that mean? Like, I feel like we're so cause and effect when it comes to thinking about affairs. Uh, even some of the other people that I interviewed, um, who've been, who've worked through their relationships, they, they always kind of trace it back to this was missing in the relationship, like symptom cause. So mm-hmm. knowing what you know, seeing that it's what we attach meaning to. How do we now deal with this big elephant in the room? Yeah. So my question is always to ask, um, what did the affair do to you? How did it impact you mm-hmm. to the person who experienced the affair? Um, and then to the person who had the affair, it's what did the affair mean to you? Mm. And that's where we're actually going to get down to the core. And so I wish I could honestly, I wish Erica, I could sit here and tell you this is the formula. Mm-hmm. It's lack of communication, lack of mm-hmm. intimacy, sprinkle on some, um, you know, stressors, you know, life changes. And there you go. We're going to be met with infidelity. It's, it's just not always the case. Mm-hmm. It's not always the case. So perhaps to that couple you spoke to, whatever you came down to the core, meaning whatever they conjointly said, this was it. This was what was missing. They've attached meaning to that. And that's great. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I know that perhaps this couple will make it. Like mm-hmm. they will go ahead mm-hmm. and reconcile because they found something to attach meaning to it. Mm-mm-mm. But that meaning may not be the same for my four o'clock. Got it. So your work is finding that meaning f- with each couple, each couple individually yes. and figuring that out. Yes. Okay. Yes. Often people think it's lack of communication and then, cause they come, they come already with some ideas by right. all means, Right. by all means, they come with ideas and great ideas, great ideas. And so they think, is it a lack of communication? So I tell them, 
what's communication. If let's say your partner sent you te- 10 text messages versus eight, is that better communication? If mm-hmm. they called you more, would that be better? If they said nicer things to you, told you you're more, you're, you're, you're beautiful more, more often, would that be better communication? And so we figure it out after we break it down, break it down, break it down. Mm-hmm. We figure out that it's not necessarily communication or the quantity of communication. It's mostly the quality, but even further in that, it's the emotional attunement. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to sit beside your partner and without words, have a really good guess at what they're feeling. Um, it's being able to look across the room at their facial expression and be like, ah, I know, I know he doesn't think the pizza's good. Right. Right. So it's a connectedness. Yeah. That emotional attunement, that closeness comes with the ability to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. open, transparent, and also to be able to trust in that communication. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, do Couples who have excellent communication and excellent emotional attunement have affairs? I'm sure there are. Yes. Is it the majority of them? No. Hmm. No. So I, I for sure, I, I, I don't want this, this episode, this podcast episode to be like, these are the things that lead to an affair. Mm-hmm. Because I would just only be adding to that pop psychology mindset, right. that symptom right. yeah, mindset, which is, it's, it's, it's just not, I, I don't see it to be the case. I want it to be like, Hmm. After listening to this uh, uh, episode, how can I become more emotionally attuned to my hmm. partner? How how do you become more emotionally attuned? I've found personally in my many relationships, as well as many of my friends' relationships, straight mostly that I'm talking about, um, the women tend to be very emotionally attuned, it seems, where they can tell if their partners are not feeling quite right. If they need something, they do things without asking. Men tend to have a more difficult time doing those things. So is that why men tend to cheat more is because they're like less emotionally attuned or they feel, I don't, yeah. (laughs) Take that, take from that what you will. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the cat's out of the bag in terms of of, uh, who cheats more by the mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we close the infidelity gap, as we start to define what is infidelity and we add other, other layers like emotional cheating mm. or, um, or even like lustful desire into the mix. Um, it's tough to say who, which, which, which sex, which gender mm. is, is cheating more. Okay. Um, yeah. So there are, when they removed, uh, sexual contact as the, the, the defining, uh, as the operational de- definition of, of infidelity, there was a study that showed that there were more uh, more college females reported cheating than their male right. counterparts. Mm-hmm. So tough to say, but in terms of emotional attunement, like women be, being more emotionally attuned to their partners than men, um, it showed differently. Okay. It's not that men are not emotionally attuned. It's just that they may show it differently. It could be that uh, men more men show their attunement by acts of service, by focusing on the things that they do in order to preserve safety and peace for the woman, for their partner. Mm-hmm. So it may be less of like, honey, look, I got you your favorite chocolate bar that perhaps women do more, or I got you this thing. And men may be more of like, hey, um, 
I've noticed, um, I, you know, I wiped off the snow off your car. Mm-hmm. So I know you don't like to stand out, stand out there in the cold while you're cleaning the, the snow off your car. So I did this for you. Mm-hmm. So that is emotional too. And perhaps it's not deep conversation. It's not, it's also the ability for, so for shared, um, perception, um, Sorry, pardon me, shared perspective. So I tell couples, if you go out camping, let's say, and one of you is stargazing mm-hmm. and the other one of you is uh, watching the campfire, are you having shared perspective? Are you are you mm-hmm. watching the same thing? Versus if you both look at the stars or you both look at the campfire, you're now being emotionally attuned, sharing the same mm-hmm. perspective. And so that there is also another form of, emotional attunement is being able to align yourself more to your partner. And so often I do hear um, female clients saying, I want my partner to be more emotionally attuned to me. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, just that sentence, I want them to be more emotionally attuned to me. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't, it's, it, it can't be, it's, it's not one way. And even if you feel that you are the one that's more emotionally attuned is how can you make space for mm-hmm. that person to then be emotionally attuned to you? How do you, how do you create the pathway to allow them to turn into you? Does it mean speaking less? Does it mean prioritizing their space? It's, it's complex how we how we achieve emotional attunement. But right. for some reason, when we have it, we know it. As you're talking about that of like you're going camping and you're both looking at the same thing that allows for emotional attunement, I feel like early on in relationships during the honeymoon phase, people tend to do more of that, right? Like you make time to go on dates, you ask about each other, you have more curiosity towards one another's perspectives because it's new, it's exciting. And as you progress in your relationships, you're like, I, you can start guessing sometimes what they are thinking and what they are looking at. And you lose that curiosity. So would you say that that is the trajectory of relationships where like in the beginning, you tend to have a lot of that and without maintenance, it kind of trails off? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that, that healthy communication is being able to say, Hey, I miss when you, when you, I miss when you were more interested in my inner world. Mm. I miss it when you ask me about how my day was going. Mm-hmm. And so there, we have to have that ability to like, to look inwards and to be able to, to identify what is missing. And so I, I, actually, I wanted to get into a little bit more of these motivators and things that some commonalities that I found. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure you've heard Erica of the attachment styles, right? Yes. yes. And I have a love hate with attachment <laughs> styles. My love is that I'm, <laughs> my love is that I, I I like that there is a word to this because it makes uh, communication so much easier. Mm-hmm. And I hate that people feel that somehow completing one test, <laughs> this is their attachment style, and now they're married to this, and this is it. Right. I wish, I wish, I wish more people, including therapists. I wish more therapists took the time to assess attachment styles after every single relationship because it's mm. different. Our attachment to partner A may be very different than our attachment to partner B, which may be a, a very different to our best friend, to our mother, to our father, to it's just completely different. And we can change over time. 
Also, another thing I wish that therapists made things a little bit more clear is that um, it's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. It's a spectrum. There's such a thing as being just a little bit more anxious, a little bit more on the anxious side or a little bit more Mm -hmm. on the avoidance side. Mm -hmm. Um, This idea of a perfectly secure person If you find one, show me, okay? <laughs> then, uh, I have, have yet to find one, but I'm eager to find this person. Um, I just don't think it, it fully exists because, again, um, a relationship is a dynamic. And so even if you're entirely secure, super, mm-hmm. super secure, um, if the person is a little too much on the avoidance side or a little bit too much on the anxious side, you're going to sway another way. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to infidelity, let's say you have somebody um, who is anxiously attached or who has more of an anxious attachment style, okay, more preoccupied about the relationship. Individuals who fall in this category may sometimes feel that uh, they need constant reassurance mm-hmm. of the relationship. They need reassurance of themselves. And in fact, their self-esteem heavily relies on how their partner perceives them. So if this person who is anxiously attached finds that their partner is unresponsive to their bids of connection, mm-hmm. right? Just stonewalling them perhaps. Um, and then out of the blue comes somebody who compliments them mm. and starts showing them the type of praise and the type of assurance they would love to receive in someone else. The hope is that they recognize that, whoa, Mm. I'm really liking this feeling. And they communicate that to their partner. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, it's not, I I realize I am missing this feeling in our relationship and I much would rather have it from you. Right. So that would obviously be the healthy way. So we've got to look into our attachment styles and sort of see the the warnings, Mm -hmm. right? Be like, oh, this is probably how it's going to work out for me. Right. Somebody who is more avoidantly attached, if they're, these folks often feel um, overwhelmed by grand gestures of emotion or issues. And at the core, they think, hey, I will, I cannot, I will never be able to meet the, the growing needs of this mm. relationship. And so if, let's say, they were to meet somebody who they find is more simple or that they not expected to meet any needs, then they may be able to feel like, oh, this is, I'm, I'm attracted to this person mm-hmm. because I'm attracted to this dynamic. I'm attracted to the lap, to, to the obligations I would have in this, mm. in this encounter mm-hmm. versus I'm unattracted or overwhelmed to the obligations I have in my relationship. So right. of course, through healthy communication, that person should then be able to turn to their partner and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm, very, very overwhelmed by by my obligations in this relationship. Mm. I think I want things to be more simple. Right. And so then there's a dialogue. So now th- those are sort of the warning flags of somebody who's anxiously attached and someone who is avoidantly attached. Mm-hmm. So that might be helpful so for those who, for listeners who want to hear more of like, what are things I need to be careful of? Other motivators, other things that um, perhaps I found that are more common is, of course, um, not feeling as physical or as in tuned um, in the sexual in, in, in the sexual aspect of the relationship. So, not feeling as connected, feeling that sex has become a chore. Mm. Right? If sex is a big element of your relationship, then that may be very difficult to navigate. Mm-hmm. So, that's something to be mindful of. 
There's a recent study that showed um, couples um, sort of asked couples to rate their, their relational satisfaction. And they asked them to rate their relational satisfaction on communication and sexual intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so uh, couples plus and as well as their overall satisfaction in the relationship. And they found that the couples who were who had an, who were satisfied overall in their relationship either had great communication, strong mm. communication, or strong sexual intimacy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you can have one without the other for overall relational satisfaction. The issue comes when there's a dissatisfaction in both. Mm-hmm. So the study did not test to see if that necessarily led to infidelity. But it's certainly something to be to be mindful of. Right, right. And it's interesting the like both of these points, this the healthy solution is to approach your partner um with your concerns and ask them in a way that is mature. Um but I think this comes with a lot of self-recognition, like understanding what you're feeling. I think often, like what you were saying, if somebody else is giving you the praise that you want, it's very easy to be like, I'm attracted to this person and not separate the person from the actions. And it's, it's, it's so important to, to recognize it's not necessarily how you feel all the time. It's how is this person making me feel or what am I attaching meaning to? Mm. So if this gentleman compliments on how beautiful how beautiful I look. Am I attaching meaning to the compliment mm-hmm. or am I attaching meaning to um, the time it took him, the attention it, it right. took him to, to, to say those things to me? Did he go out of his way to say those things to me? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's so important to always ask yourself, what am I attaching meaning to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So recognizing it is a difficult part of it. And then the other part is communicating. I think it's, you, you see it in TV, you see it uh, in other relationships where people are like, oh, you never do this for me. Like you never compliment me. And that's kind of a bid for attention, but the way that they're presenting it can be, can trigger defenses in the other person. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it sounds like it's two skill sets, both like recognizing the problem and then communicating the problem do you have tips yeah. around either of those things? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the first one I always tell clients, name it to tame it. Mm. Name it. We've got to name it. So not enough compliment. We mm. just named it. Or not being told I'm pretty enough. We just named it. Right? So then now to tame it, mm-hmm. it's we've got to communicate about it. And how do we do it? So speaking in absolutes, you never or you always. One, it's, mm. it's incorrect. What are the chances that someone never or what are the chances that they always probably not very high. Mm-hmm. So I like to sort of moderate and bring it down to, to, to the center point. And then I always tell them to air it out. And by air, I mean A-I-R, mm-hmm. air it out. And so A is the action or the inaction. Mm-hmm. Hey, babe, when I put on a pretty dress and you don't tell me that I look amazing in it, I is the impact. You tell them how it makes you feel. It makes me feel unseen. It makes me feel like you don't care the, about the effort I put into this. And then R is the request or the mm-hmm. resolution. When we state a problem and we don't state the solution, we become part of the problem. We're now leaving it to our partner to guess mm-hmm. 
to anticipate what we're actually want. And the margin of error is 50% when it comes to two people, right? <laughs> and so the request could be, hey, can you just, can you be more observant? Especially like if you know we're going out somewhere nice, the chances right. of me trying to put on a better looking dress or my special clothes is, is higher. Mm-hmm. So just be more attuned to that. Okay. And so that way the chances, so people only get defensive when there's an offense, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if it's, if it's said in a way that is, um, a much more like you first start in the eye, like when this happens, it's not you, 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 mm-hmm. most people are less likely to get defensive and be like, okay. And we always have to give our partners the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. They don't want to actually hurt us. They're not sitting there and be like, how could I not compliment her today? <laughs> it's an oversight. Right, right. Right. Like, how could I make her not feel seen? Chances are it's not very high. And so um, airing things out frequently is also part of healthy communication and could be a way of, I don't want to also say preventing an affair. Mm -hmm. Again, these things, um, we shouldn't ever feel like we've either caused or prevented an affair. Mm -hmm. But aligning ourselves in our values and aligning ourselves in emotional tunement to our partners, that in itself is something that could become a deterrent mm-hmm. to having an affair. Like, why would I risk this? Mm-hmm. It's to the point that a, a, a person feels I've got this great thing going for me. Mm-hmm. Why would I risk this? Mm-hmm. And this is like, obviously the a general population. There are always exceptions to this. There are always people who may be more self-sabotaging than others. Mm-hmm. So it's so difficult to say, what are the motivators? What are the things that are going to lead to an affair? The same way it's difficult to say, what are the things that are going to prevent an affair? Mm-hmm. And uh, Esther Perel did a wonderful job of um, sort of explaining this concept of possessiveness in modern love, mm-hmm. right? Where now um, we've taken marriages or unionships and thought to ourselves, this is my one, mm-hmm. the one person that has to fulfill all my needs. And this is the person that is both my companion, my lover, my confidant, my teacher, my parent, <laughs> right? Um, in all aspects, right? And if we look at prior to the industrial uh, a revolution, where marriages were more about companionship, like you know, we're struggling to make ends. I'm struggling to make ends meet. You're struggling to make ends meet. Let's just come together and mm-hmm. run a household together, right? Right. So it was more about companionship when we moved on to an era where everybody, for the most part. Uh, can can find their own resources. Mm-hmm. We are now more alone than ever. We've got tons of, of friends, but it's so difficult to find someone to drive us to the airport, mm-hmm. right? A friend that we can trust right. to drive us to the airport or to feed our cat when we're gone. And so we're much more isolated. And so then what do we do? We turn to mating. Mm as the answer to that isolation. And so we put a lot of our eggs in that one basket. Mm-hmm. And so that putting all of that expectation into one, into somebody sounds perhaps romantic, sounds like very hopeful, but in a way it's, a, it's, it's an indirect way of being possessive mm-hmm. of being like, you've got to meet all these needs just to you. Right. Sounds like and that a- can be very troubling. It sounds like a pressure cooker. And if you're putting so much meaning and attention to it, it's very easy to start picking things apart. Like it's less than the expectation of perfection. 
And so sometimes um, affairs happen as a way of escaping that pressure. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the affair is not necessarily from the person who, 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 you know, who's getting all the expectations placed on them. It could be from the person who is placing the expectations mm-hmm. to and be like, you know what, I'm tired of the disappointment of you not meeting all of these needs. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to take a vacation, a break from the disappointment mm-hmm. from my current reality. Mm-hmm. And as mm-hmm. you were talking earlier, I was thinking about the psychology of the person who has an affair. Yeah. So like people who are going through this, do they feel like, are they, I I think I remember now you were saying that uh, we don't go out of our way to hurt people. Um, we do it kind of because we're not conscious of it, but Mm -hmm. for people who have engaged in infidelity, is it because their concern is on their own needs and they're just like if i just don't think about it then i don't have to think about hurting this other person that i've committed to i mean once after the person has the affair yeah or or before having the affair they're like if i don't think about the needs of my partner i just right. put that on mute right and i yeah and i'm dissuaded and then i go into and i meet this new person and i right. have a one i stand or whatever yeah, it, again, it could be an act of avoidance. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I, that's one of the things that I think always comes to mind is that cheating is always pre-planned, right? Mm. That's um, cheating is is always there's always these factors that lead to cheating, and if we um, if we undo these factors or if we find the antidote to these factors, then cheating is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if cheating is pre-planned, but certainly cheating is a decision. It's a choice that people make in a given moment. And sometimes, sometimes they want to make that choice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, it's what they felt was needed in the moment. It's tough to say whether people are like, I no longer want to be the person to meet, to have to meet all the needs of my partner. I'm going to go and cheat. But it certainly is a choice to be like, I am going, I no longer want to be the person that has to meet my partner's needs. I'm going to dissociate. I'm going to avoid, Mm -hmm. disengage. Mm -hmm. And then once we disengage, the potential or the Mm -hmm. likelihood or the risk, I should say, the risk of infidelity is higher once we're disengaged. Mm -hmm. Or I guess other people say um, when they're tapped out, Mm -hmm. when they're shut off. I think it's really hard to get away from that cause and effect because that's just how I've always framed affairs. And mm-hmm. it's hard to, I can hear what you're saying about like the different motivators of people. And I think we've been talking about it in a very healthy way of like, if people are doing A, you should talk to them about what you need but I, I'm finding like that gap of like, instead of going to communicate, you cope in this very hurtful manner. And I'm just wondering like mm-hmm. how that, how, how you bridge that gap, like how do they make it to that other side? Yeah. 
it's because they no longer have trust in the communication. Mm. They think that if they went to their partner and be like, hey, listen, I'm not happy in whatever aspect of our relationship. Mm-hmm. I wish this could be better, that they're going to be met with defensiveness. They're going mm. to be met with attack um, or they're not going to have their feelings. They're not going to be validated. And so perhaps there's then the, the, the persuasion of like, I'll meet, I'll, I'll have my needs met elsewhere. Mm. So that's, that's, so is, was there a cause and effect? It's tough to say. Was the cause because the needs weren't met with their current partner? Was that the cause? And then the effect now is, is, is infidelity or could the cause be something more internal as to why do I think my partner has to meet all these mm. needs? Why am I putting that pressure? So if it's now internal, is that then the effect? Is the effect then, sorry, the infidelity from not being able to, from overly not being able to look in oneself to see why are we placing so much, so much of our needs onto one person? Mm-hmm. So if that's the cause and effect, if it's us, if it's us wondering of us always putting too many needs on our partner, mm-hmm. then then if if that's if that's the cause, then we should always be repetitively seeing the same effects. And right. that's not always the case, right? right? It's not like we get cheated on every single time, or it's not like we're cheating mm. every single time. Right. So I, I don't think it's as linear as a cause and effect. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That makes sense. And as it sounds, this is a very complicated topic and it sounds like you've worked with a lot of different people with a lot of different reasoning. Um, in the mm-hmm. beginning of the interview, you said that there were some barriers that you have to work through. What are some of the common barriers in the culture of Canada um, that you have to work through to kind of get down to the what you actually need to be talking about? Yeah, that cheating is always a sign of a troubled relationship, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it may not necessarily be a sign of a troubled relationship. It could be a sign of a troubled dynamic. Mm-hmm. But the relationship, the two people in that relationship, there's nothing troubled about them. Mm. The current dynamic they're in. Okay. Right? It's it's um, the pursuer and distancer, mm-hmm. the common dynamic. Mm. And so somebody feeling overly pursued and somebody being overly distant. Right. And so that's a big hurdle to, to overcome is sort of this, uh, this idea that, um, that there's nothing that you don't need to see it as that there's problems in your relationship. Mm-hmm. You need to see it as problems in the dynamic. And that means, that means that the person who just got cheated on has an equal amount of work to do as the person who did the cheating. And that is super hard to hear. Yeah. Super, super hard to hear. Especially weeks after an infidelity or just, just after an infidelity, right? To be like, what do you mean I had a role in this? And there are many therapists that prescribe to the idea that no, that the person is a victim. Mm. That person did not choose this. And of course they are a victim of affair, but are they a victim of, trouble in the dynamic, a victim of miscommunication, mm-hmm. a victim of misalignment or misattunement. That sounds silly to say that. I'm a victim of misalignment. I'm a victim of misattunement, right? That sounds silly. And so moving away from the doer and the receiver in mm-hmm. of itself is very challenging. And 
between you and me, Erica, and all of the listeners, I um, <laughs> um, I probably don't bring that up in the first two, three sessions, mm-hmm. right? The first two, three, right? The first two, three sessions is about exploring impact. Right. And what did that feel mm-hmm. for both? Like, what has it felt like? And then after we figure out what it's felt like, we could then be like, well, what, what do you think led to that feeling? Mm. What is the meaning to that feeling? And that's how we then start approaching dynamics. Mm-mm-mm. And so that's, mm-hmm. you were saying like, it's not the relationship, it's the dynamic. And as you were talking about like the pursuer and the avoider, it I think I'm having a difficulty understanding the difference between the two. So how do you separate dynamics versus relationship? A dynamic, a dynamic, um, is it's fluid, right? So mm-hmm. our dynamics can change even within one relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a relationship of let's say 20 years, mm-hmm. the first two years, three years, your dynamic may have been different in the last 15 or, or the, the, or the 16th mm-hmm. year. Okay. Okay. But it's the same people. It's the right. same relationship. It's just the dynamic okay. in that moment. And there are other, there are other, um, factors that influence the dynamic. Sometimes couples then have children and that can Mm. change the dynamic. That can add a new flair to the dynamic or your in-laws move in. Okay. Or have, you know, or somebody has, has an illness or a medical condition. There's a change in health. All these things are going to change the dynamic, Mm -hmm. but it's still the same relationship. Okay. So like the relationship is the overarching and then maybe the dynamics is like the different chapters within the relationship, like yeah. how it changes throughout. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I, have you ever heard the expression, like, um, you marry the same person multiple times? I have, <laughs> especially doing this mini series. <laughs> I've been, this has come up a few times. Yeah. Which it, it causes such relational anxiety to think that, oh my goodness, um, my partner is going to change so many times in the course of our mm. marriage. Absolutely. And so are you. Right. And, and, and that's, um, it's sort of, that's what I mean about the emotional attunement. You've got mm. to realign yourselves after every single change. Right. Right. And mm. I've, I've always had this, I've always said that marriage is like way too long. A lifetime is <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a long time. Like when marriage came to be, it did not last this long. And now we have all these extra pressures. So we're like, maybe we should be renewing every seven years, but this idea of like, you have to marry a person over again. Um, that makes a lot of sense, especially with how much I feel like I've changed over the last seven years. Like I can't imagine (laughs) being that person again. Of course your skin cells are different. Yeah. You've shed your skin cells. Yeah. You're yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's sort of that, that, that myth to dispel there Mm. that cheating is always a sign of a troubled relationship. How about we Got say it. something like cheating is most of the time a sign, if it's not to speak in absolutes, is most of the time a sign of a trouble dynamic. Mm. More nuanced. I'd it's not as catchy. Like it's not gonna, we're not gonna put no, it on a t-shirt. Yeah, it's not as cute. No, uh. it's not gonna sell a book. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. And that's why that that also goes into sort of this once a cheater, always a cheater. Mm. Well, perhaps always a cheater if they're in that same dynamic if somebody does not thrive well in a dynamic where they feel overly controlled or overly surveyed like um watched Mm -hmm. 
then if they move on to another relationship where they're experiencing the same thing Mm -hmm. or they stay in that same relationship and that dynamic re-enters, then perhaps, yes, if that coping Mm -hmm. strategy, that coping mechanism of stepping outside has not been resolved and we haven't, communication hasn't improved, then yes. Mm. But it's not because that person has the cheating gene. Right, right. Right. You know, or, or, um, you know, and it's sometimes not because that person only cheats when they have alcohol in their system. And if they drink again, then they're going to cheat. No. Right. It's a dynamic. Right. And one thing that we haven't really touched on is technology. I feel like one of the common sayings about cheating is like, it's so much easier now because you can like, you can just hop on the internet instead of having to physically go out. Do you think that to be true? Certainly more accessible. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's easier. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if we had the opportunity to speak to couples um, born in the 1920s, 1930s, where technology wasn't like what it was now. And we asked them, do you think it was just, it's easier now? I, I suspect mm-hmm. a lot of them would say, well, it might be more accessible, but if there's, if there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. Like they've certainly experienced that, that maybe, maybe the pool of, of whom they'd be able to have an affair with might've been smaller. Right. Mm-hmm. And the chances of getting caught right right could have been small uh could have could have been uh, higher i mean mm-hmm. right it's all in the local town mm. with people they may know um here certainly it's it's more conspicuous and it's more um more accessible and i think it's for both the avoider and the anxious right mm. if they're not receiving the type of admiration and praise that they would like to see hopping online and getting compliments on a picture you just posted mm-hmm. a selfie you just posted might lead to those feelings if you keep discovering it keep exploring it same mm-hmm. thing if somebody wants to avoid feeling overly stressed out in their relationship hopping on and seeing like oh it's just so easy to mm. just compliment a person mm. and just get that positive feedback where if I do something similar to my partner, it's always met with caveats and nuances. And just So certainly the ability to hop online and find people very high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are online relationships considered cheating? I think that that's, that really depends on the partner, right. on the people in the relationship. Like, do they consider it cheating? Right. Right. And that's a, question that we don't necessarily think about or question until something has happened. Um, that's why I really loved reading State of Affair. As I was reading through it, coming across all these different situations, it was interesting bringing it up to my boyfriend and being like, hey, if I am in a coma, how long do you have to wait until you can, like, even if we're married, like, at what point do we say, go ahead. If one of us has dementia and no longer remembers the other person's face, like at what point are you allowed to like find comfort in another relationship? Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously those are very extreme circumstances, but it was a kind of back to what you were talking about earlier with emotional attunement, having these hypotheticals and getting to share and understand Mm -hmm. the other person was really great exercise I found. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super. And, and one, one thing that, um, I find is probably a commonality as to what is cheating mm-hmm. is probably, uh, there has to be an element of secrecy, mm. right. Of things being hidden information being hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be an element of, of desire. Mm. Esther Perel calls it sexual alchemy. Mm-hmm. And then there has to be uh, some sort of emotional involvement. Mm. And so people will argue that, let's say, watching porn is not cheating. Mm -hmm. However, if they found out that uh, the porn involved um, those private chat rooms with a webcam person, then that's cheating. Why? Because it's more direct. There Mm. potentially could be emotional involvement. There's desire. And so people who, who are like, no, that's not cheating, they would call it customized porn. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between that? And so and, and watching regular porn. Mm-hmm. So it's super tough to identify what is cheating. I always tell couples to identify it within themselves. What mm-hmm. do they consider cheating? Um, do they see do they see cheating as something that is um, perhaps a milestone? Like almost say a, a a barrier they may they may they may find in their relationship and what would be needed to repair that mm-hmm. what they would need in order mm-hmm. to feel that that's been repaired and also the idea of the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation I spoke about the start of this um, where you have four options. Mm-hmm. After an infidelity, four options of how how to approach this, how to navigate this. You can either approach, you can either stay together in a healthy way, mm-hmm. in a healthy manner, stay together in an unhealthy manner, separate in a healthy way, or separate in an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. And a part of what's going to determine if something is healthy or is unhealthy is the forgiveness piece. Mm-hmm. And that forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. It does not mean that you need to stay connected to the person. You need to come to a solution. Forgiveness means that you have listened to the person, understood the the situation from that person's point of view. Mm -hmm. You have listened to yourself. Forgiven any conclusions you've made about yourself, decided to 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 break that dynamic. Like yes, that's the end mm. of this dynamic. Are we ready for a new one? Do we want to explore a new one? And then that decides whether or not that's going to be a healthy way of staying together or an unhealthy way of staying together. I think that's a really nice note to end on. So. Thank you so much for your time today, Camilla. Uh, if people are looking for you, where can they find you? Um, so I practice out of New Moon Psychotherapy located in Toronto. We're located on uh, on King Street West. Mm-hmm. Um, you can email me directly at Camilla, C-A-M-I-L-A, at newmoonpsychotherapy.ca. Mm-hmm. You could also Google us and uh, give us a call. Thank you so much for being on today and sharing your expertise and your ideology that I see that you've put a lot of time and effort into. Thank you so much, Erica. It was a pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to this episode. This is the last episode of our mini series on betrayals, affairs, and infidelity. If you enjoyed this episode or this mini series, please let me know. Spotify has like a Q&A at the very end, and I would love to hear your opinions. Uh, on top of that, you can also reach me at Pod on Instagram, Twitter, or Gmail. See you guys next time.